We read now from the New Testament, Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of Man. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let us offer a prayer. Thank you, Father, for the angel's announcements to the shepherds that Jesus was born. Help us, O Lord, to experience the angelic peace that is offered to us only through Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Okay, don't sit down yet. My name is Ed, and I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. Thank you so much for coming today. Somebody told me after the 9 o'clock service this morning, you know, Ed, it was a little boring, but at least it was short. So this is not, this is not the kind of thing that you want to hear. Somebody was clapping about the short comment, I'm guessing. So just to kind of get us ready, because it, we're really, this is important. This is epic stuff, seriously, that we're talking about today. So I want you to turn to someone next to you just to kind of get the juices going. I cannot wait to hear about true religion today. So go t- turn to someone and say, I can't wait to hear about true religion. All right, you can be seated. So welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a sweet time. It's a sentimental time, the Christmas season. So today, I'm going to go against the grain and speak primarily to our heads. And we're going to talk about two important, critically important concepts today. Look, culturally, culturally, this is the most significant season of the year for Christians, I think. Culturally. Because this is the time of the year when our entire culture at least nods its head toward what we believe. So what are they nodding at, really? What is it that this season suggests? We're in the second week of a series of conversations we're calling True Religion. Here's the thing. Religion is not true because it's sincere. Sincerity does not make for truth, not necessarily. We're tempted to think, our culture especially is tempted to think, wow, they must be right because they're so sincere. Religion is not true just because it's religion. So what is true religion? The story of the birth of Jesus is one of the most remarkable and significant stories in human history by any account. 
This morning, we're going to look at the account from Luke that Caroline read for us this morning. In it, you know, Mary hears that she's going to have a baby. And instead of kind of diving in and massaging the details of the story, which is what we often do, we're going to take a couple of steps back from the story this morning. And from that perspective, we're going to see two profound truths about true religion that we shouldn't miss. In fact, if we're honest, look, these two truths are very near to the heart of what you and I sometimes struggle to believe. For those of us who struggle with the concept of Christianity, we struggle with exactly these two things. But when we get our minds and hearts around these two truths, they change everything. So these truths are, we can't miss them. The first truth we learned from this incredible story, when we back up just two steps from the account of Jesus' birth, the the first truth that we learn is that true religion is revealed. True religion is revealed. Now I want us to cogitate on that, so I'm going to ask if you would, I'm going to count to three and we're going to say that together. One, two, three. True religion is revealed. Here's what we mean. We know what we know about God because God reveals himself to us. In fact, we know the truth about ourselves and about our world because God revealed it to us. True religion is revealed. We don't arrive at it through education. We don't discover it through our effort. True religion doesn't depend on our cleverness or our religious tendency or even our upbringing. True religion is revealed. Let's take a quick survey. The book of Genesis at the very beginning, we read about how God spoke to Noah to build an ark. God called Abraham to leave his home. God revealed himself, and that word is used in Genesis 35 and 41. He revealed himself to Jacob and to Joseph. The whole Old Testament is the story of this mid-sized, otherwise unremarkable tribe of people who descended from Abraham, and over time, they learned that a personal God created all things and controls all things, including nature and nations, and that he had a plan for them. And they learned this because God revealed it to them. Now, maybe it was all brain chemistry. Maybe they were making stuff up to just satisfy their fears. They didn't have any other explanations. Maybe, but I don't think so. In many cases, God told them what he was going to do before he did it, and then he did it. Numbers 12, 6, this is pretty cool. God said, when there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them. And then after he told them, he did it, which if you think about it, is kind of doubly revealing. Then in the New Testament, this truth becomes even more pronounced. For example, in several places, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul speaks of his message as a, quote, mystery, end quote, that was, quote, revealed to me. In one of his letters, he prays for the recipients and for us that we would receive, quote, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know God better, end quote. We know what we know about God because God reveals it to us. Last week, we looked at the first part of Luke chapter 1, Luke's biography of Jesus. And in that passage, we learned that Zechariah learned that he would be having a baby. He was an old man. His wife was beyond childbearing years. He learned it because an angel revealed it to him as a message from God. Literally, as an answer to prayer. In today's passage, Mary learns that she's going to have a baby because an angel delivered a message to her from God. How did Mary know that she would get pregnant? 
Well, God's messenger revealed it to her. How did she know what her son would be? God's messenger revealed it to her. We know what we know about God and about ourselves and about our world because God reveals it to us. In our staff meeting this week, Allison Hanson, some of you know Allison, if you have little kids, Allison runs our preschool, early childhood program in the back. And Allison asked us a question as a staff around the table. She said, when was the last time in your life when God made himself obvious to you? And we went around the table and told stories about times when God had made himself obvious to us. And it was sweet, and honestly, it was very inspiring. There were stories of how God revealed himself. Now, it could be brain chemistry. It could be flights of emotion, which have been turned into religious feelings by our predisposed belief system, but I don't think so. You know, one of the heroes of the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you will know the name King David. And under David's reign, the kingdom of Israel essentially reached its zenith in both power and influence. At one point during his reign, God promised David that his throne, David's throne, and his kingdom would be established forever, which was an epic thing for God to tell David. This, by the way, this promise to David was really the starting point for the whole idea of Messiah, that there would one day be this one who would come that would rescue and save and secure God's people. He would be from the line of David. It started around this promise that God made to David. So David's encounter with God, when God revealed himself to David and said this thing to David, that encounter is recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So I really want you to see this. 2 Samuel chapter 7 says a bunch of things, but among those things, high points of what God said to David is this, I will make your name great. Then he goes on, he talks about his son, David's son, really his descendants. He says, I will establish his throne forever. It's going to be an eternal throne. David probably doesn't really know what that means except awesome, you know, my name's going on for a long time. Then he says, he will be my son. Chapter 7, verse 14. What? And then, your throne through him will be established forever again. Okay. Now Luke wants to make absolutely sure that we get the connection between what was promised to David and Jesus. He wants to ensure that we see just how specifically God has done exactly what he said he would do. He wants us to be blown away by the extent to which God reveals himself. So I want you to look now at the message to Mary. Luke has recorded this, I believe, in granular detail. The message that the, the angel gave to Mary because he wants us to see, wow, this lines up exactly what so he says, the angel says to Mary, Luke 1, verse 32, he will be great, get it? The Lord will give him the throne of his father David forever. He will be called son of the most high. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. <laughs> point by point, God revealed himself. He told his people what he would do, then in Jesus he did it. He said, repeating himself, then in Jesus he did it. Look, obviously, this whole idea that we know what we know about God because God reveals it to us. This is one of the most important big picture implications of Jesus' life. Don't snooze on this. Jesus is the full 
revelation of God. This is what God acts like. This is what God looks like. This is how God treats us. This is how God feels about us. He will lay down his life for us. The New Testament author of the book of Hebrews puts it like this. This is beautiful. He starts off the book of Hebrews like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times in various ways. But these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. Look at this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. True religion is revealed We don't come to it by cleverness or sincerity. You're not here having had an experience with God because you went to Baptist Sunday school or you you went to Catholic school. You're here because God has shown you something. After all, you can be sincerely wrong. So it's not about sincerity. True religion comes by revelation. God shows us. So what does this mean for us? First of all, it doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing and wait for God to show us something. Jesus himself said, ask, you'll be given, seek, you'll find, knock, and the door will be open. We have to put ourselves in a position of being shown. We have to show up in places like this. We have to gather with God's people and talk about this stuff. We have to study and learn his story. And then we have to apply what we know. But You and I have to remember that true religion is revealed to us. So all of our attempts to control it or to manipulate it, what we know, our relationship with God, any sense of which we feel you owe me, any way in which we're trying to control or manipulate it is wasted energy. Because we know what we know. Because God revealed it to us. So, in other words, we have to right-size our understanding of ourselves. This is, in my mind, the application. Who we are, our place in the universe, our control over our own lives. We have to right-size our understanding of ourselves. I'm going to say more about that at the end. Second incredible truth. Second, don't miss this truth today that we learned from this incredible story. True religion involves the supernatural. So just a word to the skeptics among us, and I'm with you, and I know there are some here, but... Listen, if you have tried to drain the supernatural out of what you believe, you're in danger of draining God out of what you believe. True religion involves the supernatural. That's obvious, but let's state the obvious. True religion is not primarily a set of behavior or rules for living. It's not primarily a mindset or a philosophy. True religion includes elements of those things, but the real deal is about the interaction between our lives and God's activity. God is involved in our affairs. He inserts himself into human activity, sometimes suspending his own laws of nature when he does so. True religion involves the supernatural. Now, I'm going to talk in a couple of weeks about whether or not This story is believable, and I hope you'll be here for that, that even the virgin birth part of it. But for today, just for right now, let's just allow it. Let's just take the story at face value and see what we learn. And what we learn is that there were fantastic supernatural interventions throughout this story. There were multiple angelic appearances leading up to Jesus' birth. In fact, eventually a whole choir of angels showed up. 
There was also an older woman who was beyond childbearing years who got pregnant. It was shocking to her husband, to everyone who knew her. You might even say supernatural, although, you know, at the very least, it was certainly unusual. And her husband was struck dumb. He couldn't speak for the entire nine months of her pregnancy. Again, amazing to all the people around her. By the way, I wonder if Elizabeth ever considered that a blessing. Alex is going to talk next week about what happened when Zechariah eventually opened his mouth. Spoiler alert, it's, it's epic. Of course, the capper is that a virgin gets pregnant. And this is not how it typically works. There is no known explanation for this occurrence. This is either made up or it is a supernatural event. Then we hear about one baby leaping in the womb at the presence of another baby. As I said, a choir of angels shows up, sings a song of praise. Then we hear about a group of foreigners who see a star in the sky. They think it's some kind of sign. They follow it, and coincidentally, they end up at the the manger of Jesus' birth. More direct messages from kings get involved. They're very upset about this whole deal. More direct messages from God end up saving Jesus and his family. Supernatural stuff all over the place. Clearly, God not only acts in and through human history, on occasion, he actually suspends the laws of nature to reveal himself and to bring about his will. Now, over the years, some people have argued that what we really learn from this story is that ancient people lived in a pre-scientific world where explanations of events almost necessarily involved crazy supernatural elements because they didn't have more studied, more real, more experimental explanations available to them. And a healthy scientific skepticism was not part of their worldview. So they accepted supernatural stories more easily. I want to tell you honestly, I find that explanation ridiculous and even offensive. Regardless of whether you believe the story or not, that's not what's going on here. Ancient people were not very different from you and me in terms of skepticism and in terms of their search for reasonable explanations. If we brought Mary here today, first of all, we'd have to explain electricity to her, but she'd also tell us that she reacted to the angel very nearly exactly the way you and I would have reacted. And so did Zechariah. I want you to look at their responses. Let's look first at Zechariah's response that we talked about last week. It's recorded in the first part of Luke 1. The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Of course, an angel shows up. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. If you're making this story up, that's not the description that you offer. What you say is, Zechariah saw the angel, fell down and worshipped. I'm your servant, Zechariah. What do you have to say to me, O holy one? Zechariah is confused and startled, and he's, he's terrified. What in the world am I seeing? The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. It's shocking how often angels need to say that. That doesn't sound holy. It sounds real. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Zechariah asked the angel, what? Bill talked about this last week. What? How can I be sure? There is an angel talking to you, and you're wondering how you can be sure. I'm an old man. My wife, you've seen her. She's old. 
how is this going to happen? This is exactly how we would have responded. I need to untangle Mary's response a little bit because it's even more epic. I want you to look at Mary's response. I've just given, not the whole passage, but just her response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Look, the Greek word behind greatly troubled is used only here in the whole New Testament. Commentators tell us that this is a much stronger reaction than even Zechariah's. And she, quote, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I love this. I looked this up, wondered. In an older Greek commentary, seen it in other places, it hinted at this. I found an older Greek commentary that offered his own definition of this. I like this. This was the definition he offered. Quote, she reckoned on different reasons and different explanations. Mary is trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Look, she couldn't deny what she saw and experienced, but she was confused, she was alarmed, and she was disturbed. She didn't doubt, not exactly. I mean, how could she? But, but she couldn't figure out what was happening. She didn't have a category for this. There was no reasonable explanation for what she was seeing and experiencing. Again, I want to suggest she was responding exactly the way we would respond if we were in her shoes To me, this is further evidence that Luke is recording events as they actually happened. True religion involves the supernatural. You know, sometimes when we think about this story, we have to admit there's so many Charlie Brown's reading, and this story gets filed away, the story of the birth of Jesus, it gets filed away in our heads Like, it kind of gets mixed up in the sentimentality of the season, and it's sort of, you know, alphabetically we put it like right behind Cindy Lou Who from Whoville. It it has that same kind of feeling around it. But this is a very different story. The story of Jesus is grittier and messier, and it's also profoundly supernatural. Real religion involves the supernatural. Supernatural. So what does this mean for us? Well, let's take them one at a time. Two things. As we said, first, the fact that true religion is revealed means that we have to right-size our view of ourselves. We are not the primary mover in life, even in our own lives. We are not the center of things. God is. Our role is to surrender our lives to him and to follow him. We have to right-size our understanding of ourselves. True religion is revealed. I'm going to try to make this practical for us. I'm going to post or help us apply it. I'm going to post a devotional this week on Wednesday that deals with this true religion is revealed idea. We're going to take a passage of scripture and unpack it a little bit and then just kind of drill down on right-sizing our understanding of ourselves. If you, if you have your own devotional practice, great. If you want to take a break for a day, do this on Wednesday. If you don't have a regular devotional practice, this will be one for you. So I'll put something on mygateway.life on Wednesday that will help us kind of meditate on this and cogitate on this a little bit. Because if, if true religion is revealed, then we have to right-size our understanding of ourselves. You and I are not le- these spiritual pioneers out there discovering God. That's not how it works. He's showing us who he is. 
You're in your own stories, and I've heard many of your stories. You know, when you first get a connection with God, when you first have one of those experiences that Allison asked us about, it's overwhelming, and you feel, you sense God's presence. And early, you're thinking, this is awesome how I discovered this. And then over time, you look back at your story, and more and more, you see how God has always been working. He's always been revealing. He's always been drawing. He's always been showing you this stuff about himself, and then all of a sudden you realized it. Not because you were clever, because you were an idiot during all of this time. And finally, okay, we have to right-size our uh, view of ourselves. Secondly, the fact that true religion involves the supernatural means that we have to believe bigger and pray bolder. Anything is possible. Jesus said it himself. Anything is possible. So it's not too late. It's not a lost cause. No matter who you're worried about this morning, no matter what part of yourself, no matter what you've heard about your health, no matter where your marriage is, your relationships are, it's not too late. It's not a lost cause. Real religion involves the supernatural. God is intervening in human affairs. So, someone on staff this week, I think it was part of that sharing time, shared late spring this year at Gateway, we did a series of conversations where we were talking about kind of praying for one person and wanting to see God move in their lives. And a lot of us sort of had a person in mind and began praying. And I've heard stories from some of you, so thank you. Well, at staff meeting this week, one person was sharing their story. They had a friend who just had maybe stepped away from God or there was some distance there and they were praying that good stuff would happen, and they had an opportunity to go out of town, and uh, they went to the place where this person lives, and they saw this friend. Turns out there's religious stuff happening in this person's life, and I think they're even singing in a choir or something, and it's really encouraging to this person. She said this, great changes were taking place, and I didn't even have to do anything. We are so convinced that it's about us. True religion involves the supernatural. I mean, she did something. She prayed. The fact that true religion involves the supernatural means that this is how we get to live. We get to watch God move. Okay, so on Thursday of this week, I'm going to post a devotional on mygateway.life that will help us cogitate on this. So if you'd like to dial into that. And we'll, again, we'll take a passage of scripture and just think about what this means for us, this this business of true religion involving the supernatural, where we go with that. All right, I want to wrap up. Let's take a a sharp right turn. I'm going to go to another story in the New Testament because it kind of illustrates the interaction between these two truths Some of you know this story. It's a pretty famous Jesus encounter. It may be Jesus' most famous encounter. So a professor of religion, Dr. Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at one point. This, by the way, is if you're a football fan, a few years ago, there was almost every football game that was televised. There was a guy wearing a crazy hair wig, and he would stand, put himself where he knew the camera was going to show him, and he would have a big a poster that said John 3.16, and he would be at all these football games. John 3.16 comes from this encounter, this story of Jesus. So this professor comes to Jesus, and he says, he's a professor of religion. He knows his stuff. 
but most of what he knows is not true. I mean, it's right, it's correct, but it's not true. It's not revealed. It's not here. It's not connected to the supernatural. So he comes to Jesus and he says, what's the deal? How do I do this? How do I have this connection? How do I make things right? And what's fascinating there is Jesus offers up an illustration. You're probably familiar with it, even if you haven't gone to church much. He offers up an illustration that is profound, that kind of in a really quick snapshot communicates this stuff. But what's even more interesting is what he doesn't say. He doesn't tell him how to behave. He doesn't tell him what religious activities he needs to take up. You need to start going to that Gateway Community Church, and when they pass the offering, buddy, take your wallet out and say three Hail Marys, and, you know, if you have to put anything in the cuss jar this week, I want to see you because you've got to cut down some trees or something. He doesn't give him anything like that. What he says is, okay, Dr. Nicodemus, if you really want to know, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus, what? What do you mean? Do I have to crawl back into my mother's womb? No. Nicodemus, in other words, God must do something to you. There must be an encounter where God does something to you. He takes spiritual what do you call those zap paddles? Whatever they are. He takes the spiritual paddles and he puts them on your chest. He breathes something into life that did not exist before. Something out of the ordinary, out of the natural flow of things, we might even say supernatural, happens in you. Something comes alive in you that did not live before. And it's given birth. You didn't do it. It, it will happen to you. And when it does, you're going to see things in a whole new way. It's going to be like the first time you were born and you stared up at your mother and father and started crying. You're going to see things that you haven't seen before in a way that you haven't seen before because true religion is revealed. And... It's going to happen to you, and it's going to change everything because true religion is supernatural. Let's pray. Lord, we have, some of us, almost by, I don't know, biology or, and or upbringing, we have outsized views of ourselves. But Lord, all of us struggle with the wrong-sized view of ourselves because we are at the center of ourselves and we see ourselves at the center of everything. And we're just not. And this morning, we give you permission to show us ourselves in light of you and in light of eternity and we give you permission to right-size our understanding. And Father, we also pray that you would help us to right-size our view of you. And that is, I mean, we can't take it in. 
we can't look far enough right or left or up or down and comprehend you. All we can do is bow in worship. And so this morning, help us to right-size our understanding of you and then, Lord, equip us and inspire us to believe big and to pray bold. Because true religion involves the supernatural. And I don't even think it's conscious. It's not for me, Lord. I think for, for most of us, it's just not even conscious, but we try to keep our hands around it somehow. And you keep leaking out and oozing beyond our ability to contain and control, and thank you for that. Because <laughs> you're giving us, really, I guess, a clear understanding of who you really are and not our concept of you. So this morning, Father, we pray for those of us here who are, have physical problems. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would show up today as a healer. We pray in Jesus' name for healing. We pray today, Lord, for those of us who are struggling relationally with family member or in our marriage or at work. We pray that you would be a reconciler and a healer. It is not a lost cause. And we pray that you would move. We pray it in Jesus' name. We bring to you, Lord, our burdens and our worries, our concerns, and we ask that you take them. We cannot handle them. We've carried them too long. And we know in each case, it's not a lost cause and it's not too late. So we give it to you. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not have a connection with you, they don't know you, they haven't been born again, I pray that you will be speaking, that you've spoken, that you will reveal, and that our hearts will be changed, that we'll see, that we'll understand, that we'll right-size our vision of ourselves and right-size our vision of you, and that we'll accept you and walk in new life. Hear us, Lord, and on Thursday when we have a tendency to forget and remind us that our connection with you is what you show us and that you're involved, you're really involved. So it's not a lost cause and it's possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, choir, let's stand together. And let's wrap this up with a final song. And in this song, let's affirm our faith. Let's affirm what we actually believe. Let's affirm what's been revealed to us. Let's affirm the supernaturality of uh, the story that we believe and profess.
pray, Lord, that you use us this week to share your love to those around us as we enter this Christmas season. We just want to remind ourselves that it is about you. It's not about presents. It's not about Santa. It's about you and the birth of the man who washed away all our sins. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.